Hello there, and welcome once again to What You May Have Miffed and Episode 6. I promised last week that we would be winding our way to another new country this week for another double bill, and I stand by my word. We have visited two of this country's neighbours over the last 15 episodes, skirting round this island nation and even occasionally mentioning it. But now we are headed directly for it, for two tales that are quite different from one another. This week, we are entering Japan. Japanese mythology is less of what we would call a conventional mythology, such as Norse or Greek, and more of an amalgamation of lots of folktales, beliefs, and stories that come from the many islands that make up Japan. But that does not in any way mean that it is any less entertaining than the other mythologies we have explored so far. I was at the Natural History Museum in London recently, and there they had an exhibition about earthquakes. In this exhibition, they had an earthquake room where you could stand and feel what it would have been like at the time of the Kobe earthquake in 1995. Obviously, there was nothing there compared to the tragedy that the people of Kobe suffered, but it was there to just give an idea. But on the wall of the exhibition was a Japanese legend regarding the origin of earthquakes. This is what it read. According to Japanese legend, Earthquakes are caused by a giant catfish called Namazu, which lives beneath the earth. The catfish is restrained by a mighty, magical rock held down by the Kashima, a Japanese god. Whenever the Kashima relaxes his guard, the Namazu thrashes about and creates an earthquake. At 5.46am on Tuesday the 17th of January 1995, the catfish stirred under the Japanese city of Kobe. Just like the African tale of thunder and lightning last week, the folktales of Japan sometimes give a reason for the supernatural powers of the earth before we started to understand what they really were. But then again, who's to say that earthquakes aren't caused by a giant catfish? Anyway, on to today's stories, and it's another double bill. Don't say I don't spoil you. These are two very different folk tales. The first concerns an evil stepmother, not at all a cliché, and the second some talking animals, my favourite kind of tale. Enjoy. The Little Bamboo Flute Long ago, in Yidu, there lived a very upstanding gentleman who was good and kind and honest. His wife was very similar in her ways, but much to the man's secret grief, she did not bear him any sons. A quick side note. This story was written when having a son was incredibly important to parents, as it was believed that they would be far better suited to caring for their parents than a daughter would. This is obviously not true in today's society. The couple did have a daughter, though, 
a daughter called Oyone, which translates as rice in the ear. Yes, you heard that correctly. They loved their daughter more than anything. She was perfect in every way. She was the apple of their eye. Tragedy struck, though, when Oyone was twelve. At the beginning of the year, her mother fell ill, and by the time the leaves had fallen at the end of autumn, she had died. The man was, understandably, devastated. He wept for days and lay on the ground, refusing any comfort, and for a long time he did not eat or sleep. Oyone, however, remained silent. Time wore on, and the man inevitably grew out of his grief and returned to his business. As the snows of winter fell, they covered the grave of his wife. The path between his house and the grave was under a white blanket too, and it lay undisturbed, except for the faint prints left by a child's sandaled feet. During the spring, the man went to the cherry tree, where he wrote a poem on a sheaf of golden paper, which he then hung to the tree branch to flutter in the wind. In the poem, he praised the spring and sake. He then planted an orange lily of forgetfulness, and from then on thought no more of his wife. But Oyone remembered. Before that year had come to a close, the man brought a new bride home. She had a very fair face, but her heart was rotten. The man was besotted, however, and didn't see the evil in her. He introduced his daughter to this new woman, and from then on he believed all was well. Because her father loved Oyone, her stepmother was filled with jealous hatred, and every day she was cruel to the child. Her cruelty and hatred towards Oyone was exacerbated by the child's gentle ways and patience which she had inherited from her mother. However, as the father was always present, the stepmother did not dare commit any terrible hurt to Oyone. And so she waited, biding her time. Oyone lived in fear every day and night of her stepmother, yet said nothing to her father. Then one day, the man was called away to Kyoto on business. It was a great journey from Yedu to Kyoto, but the man had to go, and he told his daughter and wife that he would be away for at least three months. He prepared himself for the journey, his servants saddled his horse and kitted themselves out with all they needed, and in no time at all the last night before departure arrived. He called Oyone to him and said, Come here then, my dear little daughter. So Oyone went and knelt before him. What gift shall I bring you home from Kyoto? he said. But she hung her head and did not answer. Shall it be a golden fan, or a roll of silk, or a new obi of red brocade, or a great battledore with images upon it and many light-feathered shuttlecocks? Then she burst into tears, and he picked her up onto his knees to soothe her. But she hid her face with her sleeves and cried as if her heart would break. Oh, father, 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 she said, do not go away, do not go away. But, my sweet, I must, he answered, and soon I shall be back. So soon, scarcely it will seem that I am gone, when I shall be here again with fair gifts in my hand. 
Father, take me with you, she said. Alas, what a great way for a little girl. Will you walk on your feet, my little pilgrim, or mount a pack-horse? And how would you fare in the inns in Kyoto? No, my dear, stay, but it is for a little time, and your kind mother will be with you. She shuddered in his arms. Father, if you go, you will never see me again. At her words, the father felt a sudden chill around his heart that gave him pause. No, he thought, she is but exaggerating. Must he, a strong-grown man, be swayed by a child's fancies? He put Oyone gently from him and slipped away as silently as a shadow. The morning of departure came, and Oyone came to him before sunrise with a little flute in her hand, fashioned of bamboo and smoothly polished. I made it myself, she said, from a bamboo in the grove that is behind our garden. I made it for you. As you cannot take me with you, take the little flute, honourable father. Play on it sometimes, if you will, and think of me. Then she wrapped it in a handkerchief of white silk lined with scarlet, and wound a scarlet cord round it, and gave it to her father, who put it in his sleeve. He then departed and went his way, taking the road to Kyoto. As he went, he looked back three times, and saw his child standing at the gate looking after him. But then the road turned, and he saw her no more. The city of Kyoto was great and beautiful, and so the father of Oyone found it quite easily. His business during the day went very well, and his pleasure in the evening was deeply relaxing. At night he slept soundly, and with everything going so well, the time passed merrily, and he gave little thought to Yidu, or his home, or to his child. Two months passed, then three, and he made no plans for return. One evening he was getting ready to go out for supper with many of his friends, and as he searched in his chest for a certain silken hakama, which he planned to wear as an honour to the feast, he came upon the little flute, which had lain hidden all this time in the sleeve of his travelling cloak. He drew it out from its red and white handkerchief, and as he did so, a strangely cold and icy chill crept about his heart. He put the flute to his lips, when there came from it a long-drawn scream. Terrified, he dropped the flute upon the mat and clapped his hands for his servant, telling him he would head for Yudu that night. He was not well, he said, and he would go alone. After a long time, he reached out his hand for the flute, and again came that long, melancholy cry. He shook from head to foot, but he blew into the flute. Come back to Yidu! Come back to Yidu! Father! Father! The quavering childish voice rose to a shriek, and then broke. A horrible foreboding now took over him, and he was greatly frightened. He flew from the house and from the city, journeying day and night, not even stopping to sleep or eat for fear of the time he would lose. He was so pale and crazed-looking that people thought him a madman or else afflicted by the gods. Finally he came to his journey's end, travel-stained from head to heel, with bleeding feet and half-dead with tiredness. His wife, 
met him at the gate. Where is the child? he panted at her. The child? she answered. Aye, the child, my child, where is she? he cried in agony. She laughed. How should I know? She is either with her books, or she is in the garden, or she is asleep, or maybe she is playing with her friends, or... Enough! No more of this! Come, where is my child? Then she was afraid. In the bamboo grove, she said, looking at him with wide eyes. There the man ran and searched for Oyone among the green stems of the bamboos, but he did not find her. Oyone! Oyone! he called. Again and again, Oyone! Oyone! But he had no answer. Only the wind sighed in the dry bamboo leaves. Then he felt in his sleeve and brought forth the little flute and very tenderly put it to his lips. There was a faint sighing sound. Then a voice spoke, thin and pitiful. Father, dear father, my wicked stepmother killed me. Three moons since she killed me. She buried me in the clearing of the bamboo grove. You may find my bones. As for me, you will never see me any more. You will never see me more. With his own two-handed sword, the man did justice and slayed his wicked wife, avenging the death of his innocent child. Then he dressed himself in a coarse white robe with a great rice-straw hat that shadowed his face. He took up a staff and a straw raincoat and bound sandals on his feet and then set forth upon a pilgrimage to the holy places of Japan. And with him he carried the little flute in a fold of his garment upon his breast. The Little Peachling A long, long time ago there lived an old man and an old woman. During the day the old man went to the mountains to cut grass and the old woman went to the river to wash clothes. It was one of these days, whilst she was washing, that a great big thing came tumbling and splashing down the stream. At first the noise scared her, but when she saw what it was, her terror evaporated and turned to surprise and happiness. Using a piece of bamboo nearby, she pulled it towards her. When she had pulled it close enough, she picked it out of the river and found that it was a very large peach. Quickly she finished her washing and returned home, intending to give the peach to her dear husband to eat. But there was another surprise in store for her. Back at home with her husband, she cut the peach in two, but rather than revealing a stone, out came a child from the large kernel. Seeing this, the old couple rejoiced and named the child Momotaro, or Little Peachling, because he came out of a peach. Obviously. As both the old people took good care of him, he grew and became strong and resourceful. Demonstrating these qualities only raised their expectations of him, and they gave as much money as they could, still not much as they were quite poor, to take care of his education. As he grew, Mamotoro found that he was superior to everybody in strength, 
and became determined to cross over to the island of the devils, take their riches, and return home. He consulted with his adopted parents, the man and the old woman, about the matter, and asked them to make him some dumplings. These he put in his pouch. Besides this, he made every kind of preparation for his journey to the island of devils, and set out. I don't know what preparations these are, really. How does one prepare to go to an island of devils and steal their riches? If you have any ideas, let me know. The day came to set out on his adventure, and as he was hiking his way towards the island, a dog came alongside him and said, Momotaro, what have you got there hanging at your belt? He replied, not at all surprised to find a talking dog, I have some of the very best Japanese millet dumplings. Give me one and I will go with you, said the dog. So Momotaro took a dumpling out of his pouch and gave it to the dog. Then a monkey came and got one the same way. A pheasant also came flying and said, Give me a dumpling too and I will go along with you. So all three went along with him. Quite quickly, after a hike and a row in a little boat, the peculiar foursome arrived at the island of the devils and broke through the front gate with ease, Momotaro first, then his three companions. Inside they were faced with a great many of the devil's retainers who attempted to defend their keep, but to no avail. Momotaro and his animal friends pressed inwards and at last encountered the chief of the devils, called Akandoji. Akandoji charged at Momotaro with an iron club, but Momotaro was ready for him and nimbly dodged him. They grappled with each other for a great long while until the immense strength of Momotaro prevailed and he smacked down Akondoji and tied him with a rope so tight that he could not even move. Defeated, Akondoji surrendered all his riches to his vanquisher. Having collected all the precious things, Momotaro set out for his home, rejoicing as he marched bravely back that, with the help of his three companions, he had been able so easily to accomplish his end. The old man and woman were filled with joy at Momotaro's victorious return. Momotaro held a great feast for them and everybody in the village nearby, telling stories of his adventures and displaying his glorious riches. The village folk loved Momotaro deeply and he became a leading man in the community, one of great influence and very honourable. What a guy. Well, there we are. Two very different tales from Japanese folklore. What did you think of them? Like I said at the start, they are very different. One quite heartbreaking and the second just sheer entertainment. So I hope you enjoyed them. If you have any questions about today's legend, any of the previous episodes or anything mythology related, then feel free to drop me an email at themythspodcast at gmail.com or tweet me on at mythedpodcast Instagram me at what you may have miffed, or even on the TikTok thing on what you may have miffed, which I still have no idea how to use. Next week, we're returning to a mythology we started delving into last series and is a particular favourite of mine. So I'll see you soon for the next episode of What You May Have Miffed. (laughs) 